intentional, tactical, and actionable information you can use to take your real estate investing business to the next level. This is REI Rocket Fuel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the REI Rocket Fuel podcast. Today, I am joined by the one, the only, none other than my man, Gavin. Gavin Kester, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, running your real estate empire and 13 children to be <laughs> on the podcast today. Thanks, Lutton. Good to see you. Of course. Time, so. Yeah. No, good to see you. Thank you again. So um, I guess to kick it off, get right into it, I guess talk to our audience today about um, how you got started in real estate investing and kind of why you got started in real estate investing. Yep. It's a long story, but uh, the short of it is that I was doing handyman work on the weekends. I was working at Coke full time, still am, and uh, was painting houses, doing random, random stuff. I mean, I cleaned out crawl spaces in College Hill, um, a bunch of, you name it, I did it. Restained decks. Um, you know, it, there was a lot of just miscellaneous, very low labor type of stuff. You know, we we're making probably at the beginning 15 to 20 bucks an hour. And then at the end, we got good at painting and we were doing lots of exterior painting. We were probably making something more like $50 an hour painting. Um, but I was doing a lot of it for investors and guys who um, own duplexes um, and told me how easy it was and you need to do this. And I said, it's, nothing's that easy. There's no way that that's true. Right. <laughs> and I drug my feet for a year or two. And then finally, um, I jumped in, bought my first, what I call the world's sketchiest duplex, um, <laughs> <laughs> just north of College Hill. It's an all brick duplex. They had painted it blue. Um, oh. I guess maybe they would have called it gray, but it looked more blue than gray. And uh, yeah, it was brick that had been painted, which is just terrible. But uh, so anyway, that was kind of my, my foray into it. And then I, uh, that was all just, uh, what was that? The 900 block of Delrose is kind of where it was at. And uh, you still own it. And I still own it. And oh, uh, yeah. I own quite a few right around there as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Sure. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the the quick of it in terms of how I how I jumped in. So had a little bit of knowledge on the construction side. You know, I grew up on a hog farm originally, so I like to use my hands and um yeah, it uh it just kind of flowed naturally into to owning it after that. So do you still have any relationships with any of those I, I, I guess investors that you were painting for? Like did you buy anything from them? Did you use them as, you know, mentorship almost of like, all right, you convinced me. How do I do this kind of thing? Or did you just go online, like read bigger pockets? Like Yeah, it was primarily bigger pockets in terms of what I read. I read a lot of books. I talked to them. I talked to several that that owned real estate. I'm much more of a just jump in and try it, you know, and what's the worst that's gonna happen, which I'm sure we can talk more about. Um, and so I, you know, I just topped into it with the buddy. I actually had a partner on the first deal and I bought him out after the first few months and mm. Um, but yeah, the guys who I was, uh, you know, I, I joke about it, but the guys I was painting houses for, um, you know, they were, they were two fifty dollars to $300,000 duplexes, wow. you know, and the first one I bought was 50 something, right. you know, so, yeah, you know, they're, they're not slumlords, you know, and I'm not either, I don't think, but, uh, you know, there's certainly a different class of properties, which gotcha. we can talk about that too. You know, when they say they have 10 doors, you know. 10 doors for him is right, a yeah, I mean, they've got a money. couple million dollars in real right. estate. Right. You know, that's a lot more, you know, money than I have in play with whatever it is times 50 a door, you know. So right. Right. Excellent. Okay. So getting started. So that's the that's the early, I guess, kind of what was the what was the why? Was it just how you could stop painting houses and have real estate as the side hustle? Or like what was the like why? Yeah. Why did you want to get into real estate? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think everybody talks about passive income, which is right. Um, I wanted a, a high return on my money as well. So when you lever your money and get a higher and higher return, and you know, I think you know, back in the good old days, as we like to call it now, you know, you could lever up a property on an eight cap, nine cap, ten cap, probably more of a ten cap in the neighborhoods that I'm investing in, and uh, you know, you could make over thirty percent lever if you did yeah. it right. And that was awesome. I love that. I was chasing the returns. I have plenty of time to to let that debt play out. Um, but, you know, for something a bit more tangible, uh, my wife and I wanted to start a family and she was working at Coke at the time. And I said, you know what, let's do this thing to replace your income. That's very simply what we want to do. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was twofold. It was number one, replacing your income when she left. And that was, that's been about, well, gosh, it's been Graham's almost six. So it's been almost six years ago um, that she left. Um, and so we've done that. And then of course, just trying to get the, get the returns, chasing the returns. So sure. Sure. What was that? Uh, without getting into you know financial details of it, like what was the? Because I'm sure there's someone listening to this. I mean, that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to start buying rentals. I mean, one, it was an occupational hazard. I'm 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 in the industry. It's like, how am I not gonna do it? Kind of thing. Like, I know better. I need to. Do, I, ha- I have to do it. Um, the other to replace my wife's income. So I'm sure there's someone out there that wants to do the same thing, whether for the wife or the husband, either way. Uh, what was that door count? Like where Like where did you get to? Like how, how long did it take? What was the strategy to get there? Like was it as many doors as possible? Use as much debt? Was it as much, you know, cash flow per month? So you were putting more money down because you wanted more money to come in so you could replace the income quicker. I guess what was the, where was the strategy on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors, obviously. Number one would just be management. Are you managing yourself? Are you having somebody else manage it? Because, you know, you take, and again, I, I've transitioned just full disclosure to management um, for a good portion of my portfolio now. And so I'm certainly a believer in some of that. Um, but at the beginning, um, you know, if you want to cash flow and you want to learn the business, it's important to self-manage, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, to truly understand what's going on and how to deal with ten- tenants and to, by the way, empathize with your manager when they have the same <laughs> issues later. Yeah. Um, that way you're not a jerk of a landlord who does not understand what's going on. Um, but that was a factor as well. And so, you know, there's a lot of factors, but as I said, back in the good old days, you know, it was about $200 a door is what I could cash flow roughly. Um, you know, and, you know, it took probably with debt service, with debt service. Right, yep. Right. Yep, yep. You know, you had cheap debt and you were buying homes for 40, you know, some of them show us in that 40 to 45,000 renting them for seven to $800 a month. I mean, those numbers worked awesome, right? Those are no brainers. And so you just kept doing that rinse and repeat, you know, and it probably took two years and, you know, 20 to 30 doors or something. And originally, you know, the goal was just to get to 30, package them up and sell them off and buy an apartment complex. Really? Um, okay. That was the original goal. Um, and, you know, to have the apartment complex managed by somebody else. And I didn't have to worry about it at that point. Mm. And then, of course, um, some some strategy changed for me where I had access to cheap money um, with the bank. I got, got set up with the bank that I really enjoy and, and that they partnered with me and really helped me out. Um, and that enabled me to go and push beyond that. So, we, you know, we grew to, you know, we like to joke. And I know you and I have talked about this. That yeah, it's more than 20. I have more than 50 doors is what I tell people um, because, you know. Oh, man, man. It, uh, you used to tell me more than 20. That's right. That's right. So, okay, you know, so now it's more than 50. Then, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's uh, it just, you know, for me, it started to become more of a game of <clears throat> how much money do I not have to put down to keep buying these homes and have them cash flow. And that's right. uh, 
that became a pretty powerful strategy for probably, you know, 30 or 40 doors, you know, something like that and kind of ongoing as well. So. Sure. Talk to the audience, I guess today. So, you know, that was kind of the success piece of it. You, you kind of stumbled across it haphazardly while you were painting and working on duplexes for other investors. You jumped into it to replace your wife's income. And now it's gone well far and beyond that. Uh, you know, as as far as holdings and what you've got invested in real estate, I'm sure it's well far and beyond, you know, the initial goal of 30 doors, replace your wife's income, buy an apartment complex. So that's the success side. So talk to us about the biggest mistake you've made or biggest lesson you've learned on your journey thus far in the last, what do you say, six years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably been, what, six or seven years I've been doing it now. And you know, there's the, there's the sins you make and then there's the sins you don't make, you know, like there's the, there's the problems that you create for yourselves. And there's the problems of just, you didn't do something you should have done, you know, and what was it? You wholesaled me a house here a month ago that I literally could have bought five. I, we looked at oh, it together. Yeah. We literally, we literally walked through the house together three to four years ago. Um, and I ended up buying it for $50,000 more than I could have three or four years ago, you yeah. know, and the numbers still made sense for me. You know, that's I, absurd. Do I regret that? Of course I regret that. Sure. You know, like, um, but that's also, I think, what leads to some success is the discipline to say, I'm not going to buy this today. It doesn't hit my, hit my criteria. I didn't have access to the kind of funds and the kind of relationships with bankers that I have today. Um, and so that was a deciding factor then. Right. And so there's there's certainly things like that that have been big mistakes. Um, I've made the same mistake that everybody probably has made at this point of renting to somebody you kind of know, a yeah. friend of a friend. That never goes well. Mm. Try it out one time just to get it off your, uh, right. you know, <laughs> off your plate. But like, it just never goes well. I've had that. You know, they don't pay you for a couple months, and you end up going there, and it's complete wreck. And then they just disappear. You know, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that has certainly happened. Um, well, if you want to lose a relationship, rent to them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And lucky for me, you know, I didn't lose any relationships because it was kind of a friend of a friend of a friend type of situation, but. It didn't make me any money. I can tell you that. Um, so there's certainly been those, um, you know, there's certainly been a few houses that I've spent more on than I would like to. We don't have very good systems and processes when it comes to flipping homes, which is why we don't really do it. You know, we flip right. on a year pretty much. Um, you know, we need to be a lot better at that. But, you know, as far as big mistakes, it's probably more in the camp of things that I should have bought that I didn't, you know, sure. and that a lot of that just comes down to, you know, I trade commodities at Coke. I still do that full time and the discipline with which they sort of implement strategy and the way that they go about, you know, sort of buying and selling a commodity, for example, is not so different from the way that I look at buying and selling houses. Like I try to stick to the discipline um, that they, they sort of use as a structure. Um, and that has probably kept me out of the ditches in some places. Um, I have no doubt that, you know, everything that I bought is worth more today. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, I could have bought a heck of a lot more, you know, property that would be worth a lot more too. So, right. um, you know, I kept it, you know, out of the ditches from that perspective, but that's probably the biggest regret is honestly just not having done more at the time. You know, if I could go back at house hack, you know, it'd be something I do before right. I was married. Right. You know, those are kind of, I don't know if I call them regrets, but they're things that I do differently. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, I get that. And, you know, uh, to kind of piggyback on what you said, it's very similar for, or me and the way that I look at it, it's like, yeah, you didn't buy the one that we just talked about, uh, you know, where you could have bought it three or four years ago for 50% of what you bought it for last month or the month before, whatever it was. 
but like what what other properties would you not have been able to buy three or four years ago had you bought that one kind of thing so it's like it's all about opportunity costs. Like you, you probably don't remember, but because it was three or four years ago and it seems so inconsequential, but you probably picked up some, some golden geese three or four years ago that you still hang on to today that you assumably and probably wouldn't have otherwise been able to swing because you didn't have access to the capital. You didn't like, you weren't there yet with the banks where you could just buy whatever you wanted kind of thing. Yeah. 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 The reality to your point is that I probably bought ones that were no brainers. That other one was a bit of a knife's edge. Is it going to work? Right. Is it not? Um, and so I forewent buying that one. And yeah, in reality, the other ones were probably, yeah, I am still happy with them. But uh, right. yeah, I remember every one I didn't buy because I drive by them all the time. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, they're all in my little hood, which I'm sure we'll speak a little bit about. But well, let's just roll right into that. Tell the audience and tell all of the wholesalers in Wichita that are listening right. now, where do you buy? What kind of properties do you buy? Yeah. Lawton likes to call it Kesterville. So thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but it's Kesterville, uh, baby. That's right. It's North of college. Incorporated. That's right. Yeah. Yet. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> um, so Eastboro, we're coming for you. But I was going to uh, say, you're going to have your own little annex neighborhood there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's just north of College Hill. I mean, everything we own is, you know, I can name the streets. They're Delrose, Pershing Terrace, Crestway, Belmont. Um, that's the primary area where we invest. We own a few things east of Oliver that I regret doing. That is a regret, maybe. Um, they're not terrible investments. They're just terrible properties and terrible tenants. But um, but everything, you know, really on those streets between sort of Central um, and 13th. Um, so everything we own is really in that area. Um, you know, initially, we just it was easier to manage them all. They were all very close to each other. We were like, you know, let's just keep adding. This one's for sale next, uh, the street over. They want 45000 for it. Rents for 700 750 That seems to work. Let's just keep doing that. We right. knew the area as well as anybody. And so, you know, I know as much about that area as anybody in Wichita, but I know nothing outside that area is right. reality. You know, I'm a master of that area and I know nothing about the valuations um, outside of it or the rents outside of it, to be to be pretty honest. And so, you know, when wholesalers bring me stuff out of the area, you know, Lawton calls me and says, hey, I got this one on South Woodlawn or something. I'm like, I have no idea if that's right. a good deal or not. Is that you a know? good deal? I have no idea. Right, right. And so on one hand, it's really good from a, it keeps me focused. I'm, I'm right. extremely focused, extremely disciplined on that area. I know you know, I know who owns what house. I know if they're rented. I know if they're owner owner occupied. Um, I know what they've sold for if they've sold recently. Right. Um, you know, I'm extremely focused on it. I see if somebody rents one in my neighborhood, what the rent was for and who owns that, you know? So I start to see people creeping in and I'm like, Hey, I see you doing that. Right. Um, Stay out of Kesterville. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, and you know, I, I've talked about this with you, I think a time or two, but you know, when valuations rise in the neighborhood and I don't get to buy a property because it goes for more than what I'm willing to pay. Um, it's bittersweet because on one hand, the valuations are going up and I'm really happy with that. Right. And yeah. on the other hand, I want to buy houses that you own immediately adjacent all just went up in value. Right. Exactly. The 50.5 that I own. So right. it, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's bittersweet, right? Because I'd love to own it. I'd love to add more in the neighborhood and own a, har- a larger and larger percentage of the neighborhood. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if somebody's willing to pay more for it, then, you know, let them do that. So that's kind of where we're at. I mean, you know, go forward strategy is to probably completely continue to do that. Um, and I think there'll be opportunities really I'm focused on, you know, I, 
there's probably two to three other landlords that have more than five doors in that area. I want to take them down. And then I'm just going to keep onesie twosie in it. You know, as Lawton yeah. brings me deals and right. you know, other wholesalers out there, as you bring me deals, um, you know, I, I'm going to close on those. I'm going to yeah. try to take them down. So, you know, I think the more we can own in that neighborhood, I think the more we can influence um, what that neighborhood looks like in terms of, you know, the houses are up, they're kept well, you know, and we have good tenants and, um, you know, I'd like to see the, the neighborhood, you know, rise in value over time as a result of, you know, the money and the care that we put into it. So, um, yeah, we're very, very much focused on that area. I get lots of questions about where are you worried you're too consolidated. It's like, no, it's just like owning an apartment complex and single family homes. That's all right. it is. Um, well so, said. so yeah, no, that's, uh, that's kind of where we win, what we're doing and kind of what we're thinking going forward. So do you ever wish there was a map for building a real estate investing business? Something that lays it all out for you. When to make your first hire, what systems to build, and what roles to scale yourself out of. Well, you're in luck. My team and I have put together the REI Roadmap, a step-by-step -step guide to building a real estate machine in your market. And the best part, it's totally free. Head over to our website and download your copy at reirocketfuel.com map. That's reirocketfuel.com slash M-A-P. How many more houses or doors do you think you need to have before the government steps in and is like, hey, this is a monopoly. You can't do this. So, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny. You know, when you go to a closing, they ask you, like, do you own a oh, home next door it, to this? Right. Any yeah, adjacent any property. Adjacent. And I check that box frequently anymore. You know, like, it's just the... Yes. Like, because again, I'm just looking in that small area um, and I've never been asked, I've never been called by the county. I've never been asked by the city like, hey, what's going on with this? Um, so I'm curious. I don't, I don't know at some point, maybe they will call me, but I do get lots of questions about, do you think that, you know, you influence rents as a whole? And I think there's probably some truth to that. You know? Oh, I think there's absolutely some truth to that. Because yeah. I know when I first started in real estate and, I, and we kind of got started at the same time, you as an investor, me as an agent. And right. I mean, we did tons of deals when I first got into the business. Uh, and I remember what you were buying them for and what you were renting them for compared to what you're renting them for now. You've absolutely influenced the rent rates in that area. Yep. Yep. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And it has, it's helped that, you know, I never bet on WSU, but it helps that WSU is expanding to the East and has made that extremely nice. Um, yeah. So that's been that's been good as well. But absolutely, yeah, it's harder and harder to keep investing there just because the valuations are rising. I mean, you know, right. there's homes selling on the same blocks. I bought forty thousand dollars properties for over a hundred now, and it's yeah. like I just cannot do that. Isn't <laughs> so, it nuts? It's nuts. It is. It is. But it cycles. But those are owner occupant prices. Yeah. Those yeah. aren't investor prices. So, like you said, it's bittersweet. It's like it's like man, if I get a vacancy and I need some cash. I could right. list one of these on the market for 115000 and probably get it. Exactly. That's exactly. bananas. Yeah, That's nuts. It is. It That's is. nuts. So, yep. So did you have any foresight in, in seeing those valuations rise? Like, do you think that you saw something that others didn't in that area six or seven years ago? Or was it strictly happenstantial that this is where we bought our first one? We're just going to continue to buy. Or did you say, oh, this area... I know it's going to appreciate in six years. There's going to be houses selling for 120 and we can buy them today for 45. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to say I was that smart, but no, I wasn't. I, I mean, just, <laughs> it, was, it was just by chance, you know, we, we accidentally bought our first one, you know, um, mm. 
And then we just kept adding around it. And, you know, I think that that, that area is probably risen as much as any, you know, I don't know that on a percentage basis, it's outpaced any other region. Um, I think it has more tailwinds than it does headwinds right now with College Hill and yeah. some of the Douglas development stuff kind of in that Northeastern part. Um, and I think the Northeastern part of Wichita is um, the place people generally want to be. I'm an East Sider, so maybe I got a bent there, you know, but um, <laughs> you see a lot of people posting about that on the investor chats that they want to invest in Northeast Wichita. Yeah. And a few people starting to circle my little area in particular that makes me nervous, but um, well, good. You can sell them all to them at 90,000 a pop. That's right. So maybe it's some by your apartment um, complex. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I need to do that, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> so no, it's uh, I, I had no foresight into it whatsoever. I mean, and you know, we're young enough lot in the you and I, we can invest and we're in it for the long term. And we say long term, 30 years from now, we're not even retired. You know, it's not retirement right. needs by the government standards, you know, right. so it's um, you know, a long time. Invest. Yeah, we can truly invest through the the ups and the downs and, and count on by the time we're 60 or 70 or whatever that, you know, it's going to work out that the long term averages of, um, of investing work out unless there's some disruption in the market where, you know, there's robots building houses or something, which is possible. But sure. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to bet on that in the next five or 10 years, probably. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, they're, uh, I saw something the other day to kind of speak on that. You know, it's, it's, you're more than likely, it was an article specific to real estate agents. Cause of course, that's, you know, where I cut my teeth. I got the brokerage in town. So, yep. Or in that particular article, it was like, your job's not going to get replaced by, AI and robots, you know, big technology, it's going to get replaced by people using those same technology. So yep. AI and tech and robots, it's not going to come in and replace the agent, but it is going to re replace the agent that's not using them with agents that are using those technologies. And I'm sure the same can be said for commodities trading. I know there's a ton of, of, you know, big brokerages that trade strictly algorithm. I mean, they've taken the human element completely out of it. Like it, it is yeah. just an algorithm that is constantly moving the market. And at least in what I've studied, and you can speak much more eloquently and with more authority than I can on it, but I have yet to see a study where an algorithm has outperformed a human in any trading market. Yeah, I'm not sure. There are probably some, but you know, you have to train it to do something too. So right. it, it it will probably learn a little bit, but you know, you have to set the rules in place. And there's probably some scenarios, you, you know, out there where these these algorithms trigger things that they shouldn't trigger, mm -hmm. and they probably get run over. In fact, um, because they're not understanding really the fundamentals of a market, they're just trading technicals. So right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's true in investing, though, too, you know, trying to stay ahead of the game in terms of, you know, is it technology that we're utilizing? You know, for a long time, I was signing paper leases, which, you know, looking back on was just insane. It's and nuts. I spend $100 a year on sign now and I sign right. all my leases that way. And um, so there's stuff like that is just really simple. There's improvements to the home that, you know, I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of ahead of the market on just a little bit. You know, we're putting granite quartz on every single one of our rentals, for example. And right. I have a bunch of buddies who are doing the same thing. And the returns on those are better than I would have expected. Right. Um, so there's stuff like that that I think you can continue to get better at um, and continue to lean into. Um, you know, for example, in our hood, as we thought about lifting the value of everything, it was, do we want to put white picket fences in the front of every yard? Mm -hmm. And put, you know, in College Hill, where you drive through College Hill and they've got those nice front um 
like front lights. Um, yeah. You know, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like a post light, essentially. Yeah. I thought about putting those in the front of every single yard. So when you drive down there through night, it's not so dark, you know, it's yeah. light. Um, and then, you know, obviously interior improvements as well, but there's just some stuff that I think when you start to, when you start to think about owning enough in a certain area, um, and trying to add value to an area, I think that, you know, you can spend, you start to leverage your money, you know, like you spend a couple hundred bucks on every single one of them and it suddenly lifts the value of the entire area. And right. I don't want to do that until I buy more, but <laughs> you know, those are sure. things I'm thinking about, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's at least 51 lampposts that you have to buy. That's right. Yep. That's right. At least 51. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of any of our rehabs is countertop day. When those finishing touches go on, it finally starts to look like a house, not just a construction zone. But finding a reliable, efficient, and cost-effective vendor was always a challenge for me. Luckily, my guys over at Countertop Concepts have incredible packages they've put together with the investor in mind. Not only do they have two quartz options at 40 bucks a square foot, two granite options at 35 bucks a square foot, they guarantee a one week turnaround from templating to install. Not to mention their cabinet selection with more colors, styles, and options than any of the big box stores I've seen. And best of all, on top of the incredible prices and selection, they're offering 60-day payment terms exclusive to our listeners. Just tell them that Lawton sent you. Don't sacrifice quality, time, or price with Countertop Concepts. Give my guys a call today at 316 340-7415 or visit them online at www.countertop-concepts.com. So (laughs) where does the all wise and omnipotent Gavin Kester see the market going in the next six to 12 months? And are, are any of your strategies going to change with these changes that you foresee? So I'm probably more pessimistic than most. It seems like it seems like when you talk to real estate investors, they fall in one of two camps. Either the market's going to be stable or it's going to go up. There, it, it's hardly ever that you talk to somebody who thinks the market's going to go down. down. Yeah. Um, but you know, I trade a commodity market where it does that all the time. And I was so, just going to say you've got an uh, insight to a totally different yeah sector has, of the financial world than anyone. Right. And I trade fertilizer. So like trading fertilizer is completely different than, you know, trading <laughs> homes or buying and selling houses. Right. But like, you know, I think it just conditions you to believe that markets cycle. They go up and down. Um, there's longer term cycles or shorter term cycles. But in general, things do go up and they do go down occasionally. And so I do think that there's a scenario here where if interest rates are as high as they are and they kill enough demand like they're trying to do. I mean, it's obvious that when you raise interest rates, you want less money to flow out and you want the market to kind of contract. So inflation is not going crazy. I mean, it's not, it's not improbable to say the prices come, come off, you know, I I think it's possible. So, you know, does that change what I'm doing? Not a lot. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to make sure I don't get sucked into buying anything too expensive. And Lawton brings me a great deal in my hood. I'm going to try not to pay him too much of an assignment fee. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but you oh, know, what you're saying is you don't want more deals. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So That's you, a good lesson for people, by the way, treat these guys like gold. Cause, um, you know, you just want the one known. deal one time yeah, and then you don't exactly, want to. Exactly. More. Okay. You know, sure. The one time that you leave these guys at the altar or the one time that, you know, you don't pay them what they're probably deserved, you know, it's, uh, you're not going to get a deal again. Right. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, 
But, you know, I do think that the market will contract a little bit. I think there's already less demand in the market. Um, you know, I tried to sell, again, I sell one house a year. So I have one, <laughs> right? But um, we sold a, a house in East Front on Volusia. Um, and, yeah, we that did. One, and yeah, that's right. And we sold that thing within a week. Um, and then I just listed one a couple months ago and it took six weeks to even get an offer. You know, and like it was like pulling teeth and I didn't think we were overvalued on it because I'm habitually an underpricer probably. Right. <laughs> um, and so I didn't think we were too high. And we finally got an offer as a VA loan. I bent over backwards to make sure we closed it. Right. Um, so, you know, it's just it has changed a little bit. And I don't think that that means that prices have come off yet. Right. I think it's just the behavior of the market has changed a little bit. You're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to distinguish yourself a bit more. Um, you're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. It's not going to come quite as easy to make money. Um, but I think the deals are still out there. And I think the, if you work hard, you'll find them. Um, and if you're focused, you'll find them. I, I wouldn't just, you know, sort of say spray it all over the place and invest in Newton and Peck, Kansas and Derby and, <laughs> you know, west of Hillside and Wichita. Like it's not... <laughs> That's not going to do it for you. You probably need to think a little bit more strategically about what you want to do um, if you want to be successful in this market. It's not as easy. You know, five years ago, six years ago, idiots like me could invest in this and we could look really smart just by buying houses, right? It didn't matter if we paid too much for them at the time. Um, but now you, I think you, you have to be a little bit more prudent. You have to be a little bit more careful. Um, but that kind of leads me to another thing. You know, people always ask, like, how do you get um, or what's your advice for newbies? You know, and it's like, just jump in because at the end of the day, you know, if you buy a $50,000 home, what's your downside? I right. mean, it's not like, it's not like it's going to be worth $0. Worst right. case scenario, maybe it's worth $10,000 less. You're going to lose right. $10,000. What do people do when they lose $10,000 by overpaying? They just rent the thing out for 30 years and they pay it off. Their right. cash is a little less, right? I mean, right. so it just jump in. That's what you got to do. Um, and I think that that's true of a good market. That's true of a bad market. You know, just be careful. I mean, that's all you can do in this market. I think there's a chance the prices do come off at some point. Um, but you're not going to always be able to buy the bottom either. You know, like as you know, I'm a commodity trader, like it's impossible. Only one person buys the very, very cheapest of the right. market. Um, and so, you know, you kind of got to buy along the way. Um, and as long as you're going to do it for a long time, right, Laden, you and I doing it for 30, 40 years, you'll probably retire in five years, but I'll have to, <laughs> for 30 years. Yeah, right. I'll probably have to do it for 30 years. But, you know, if you do it for that long, you're just cost averaging it over time. And as long as you're getting the returns you want, you're going to be fine. So, yeah, now I couldn't agree more. Like that's the, you know, the, in the agent world, what we've seen, you know, um, on the retail side of things, and I see it on the, in the Hester market side of things as a, a, a lipper landlord and wholesaler, uh, you know, I've kind of got my hands in the retail market and the investor market finger on the pulse of both. We haven't seen prices come down. What we've seen come down is the rate at which prices were rising. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a home was worth 200,000 and now it's worth 175. It's always been worth 200, but the behavior of the buyers in the market six to eight months ago said the house was worth 215, but the house right. was always worth 200. Someone was just willing to pay 215 or 220 just to be done looking at the houses because there was no freaking inventory. Right, right. So the house has always been worth 200,000. It's not like it's worth 175. Now it's still worth 200. You, you just can't get 225 out of it. It's right. always the whole time the house has been worth. 200,000 and that's right. it or 50,000, 70, 500,000. Like it's always been that way. The interest rates don't affect the, the value of the home. They do affect what a buyer's willing or what they can afford to offer and pay for it. Yep. Right. So 
it's a good time to be a buyer in the retail market, regardless of interest rates. Because if a seller wants to sell, or if a house is on the market right now, that seller wants to sell. Like market conditions be damned, that house is on the market. They're they've got some kind of ulterior motive and agenda that they've got to sell it regardless of market. They can't afford to wait a year and see what interest rates do. It's on the market. They got to go. They're getting a new job. They're moving up. They're moving down. That house has to go. So as a buyer, you can get in and you can make a more aggressive offer where you don't have to say, I don't even have to see the house and I got to wave a appraisal and wave inspection and I got to go 50,000 above ask. You can you can get a $200,000 house for 175. Yeah, you're getting it at a six and a quarter interest rate, but you got a house for 175 that's worth 200 that next year is probably worth 210 and you can refi and now you've got $50,000 in equity and you lowered your monthly payment. It's like yep. you you can always refinance. You can't go back in time and buy a house at a discount. Exactly. That's a good point. Very good point. You can definitely refi. Yep. Always, 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 always. Especially when you're Gavin and the bank says, here's a check. You fill in the dollar amount, whatever you need. I list Lawton as a reference. That's how I get that. So <laughs> I wouldn't. He co-signs for me. <laughs> right. Oh, Gavin, you're too much. What? Uh, so you talked to, you gave some advice earlier. This is always how we end the show on newbie investors what advice would you give to someone that's on the that 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 has already started maybe they've got one deal under contract or they're rehabbing it getting ready to rent it or sell it and they're they've made the decision they've made that leap and they've got one deal now what like what's that next step you know when i think back to when i started i talked about i had a i had a partner on the first deal and he was a partner of mine for the first three months or so. And after going down to that house and trying to fix it for the you know weekend on end um, for probably six or seven weekends in a row, I remember driving down there. It's cold December day. He looks over at me and he goes, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be responsible for somebody's housing and their living and their situation. I don't want to do that. And I was like, okay. So that's why I had to buy him out. It wasn't by choice initially. Um, but it worked out and it worked out. I was well going to say, it sounds like the best thing that could have happened because he got yeah, out on so, deal number one. Exactly. So he worked, you know, he, it worked out for him because he did not want to be involved in it. He had other agenda priority stuff that he wanted to take care of. Um, and I bought him out over time, which was nice and easy. Um, but the reason that I say that is because sometimes when you get into that first deal, you're going to feel very nervous and very scared and everything's going to feel like, you know, a huge deal. When somebody texts you that they saw a mouse in their house yeah. or somebody says that their sewers backed up, um, the first time you get those calls, you know, you're stressed, you're extremely stressed and it's not comfortable. And again, this was me self-managing. You could obviously not self-manage and you won't have this feeling. Um, but maybe it's not cash flowing how you think it should cash flow. You're going to get nervous um, and it's going to feel uncomfortable. And all I can tell you is you're raising you're raising the threshold um, that you can handle in, as far as stress goes. And so remember that when things are tough, when things are uncomfortable, the next time that that hits you, you will not feel the same way. And so if you're kind of on the fence, you've kind of gotten one deal done, you're kind of like, oh gosh, I don't know if I, I don't know if this is for me. Um, you know, make sure you're learning, write down what you're learning, keep it in the back of your mind to remind yourself to never do that again. You know, for example, I, I bought a house and within a week I had to replace the sewer line. It was $3,500. Um, you know, and it was like, that's really not cool. You know, right. like that was a significant portion of cash that I just put in that house. Um, and now every time I buy a house, I put sewer insurance on it. it cost me a hundred dollars a year hundred or $120 a year or something. Right. 
And I just do that every time because it's not working. Right. Um, But you would have never known to do that. Right. I would never have known to do that. And no one ever it on the chin on that one house. Right. No one ever told me to do that. So I, uh, you know, you just learn that stuff and you need to learn it. You know, if you're not willing to learn in this business, you probably will get sucked in the teeth a few times. You know, if you don't do background checks and credit checks on people, you're going to get knocked in the, in the teeth. Um, you know, if you're not following up with people, you know, on the fifth of the month to get rent and you wait until the 15th, it's going to bite you at some point. Trust me. Yeah. I, you know, I developed bad habits at the beginning where I had good tenants and I have to worry about that. And then you start to get a couple bad tenants and then they don't pay you. And then you give them a little bit of leash. And then the next thing you know, you're out $3,000, you know, yeah. it's, it adds up. So, you know, be disciplined, um, make sure you know what you want and why you're investing. Um, because that motivation will keep you going and know that when it's tough, you're just developing a higher threshold for stress and what you can handle. And, you know, that's what gets me through those times, knowing that like, I will never feel this way again. You know, I, next time this happens to me, I'll be like, yep, I've seen it. I've done it. Um, I can roll through this. So that's kind of what I would tell people. It's, there's very much a mentality or an attitude behind it when you've got a couple, um, you know, and you just got to grind through it. You know, you got to learn the business and, you know, lots of times that's just by learning it the hard way. So great advice, man. That's killer. That's going to be a clip on our Instagram and TikTok for sure. Oh, man. That is killer. I don't have those because I'm too old, but uh, (laughs) I have Facebook. So, you know, if you post on there, I guess I'll see that. You'll see it on there. Don't worry. (laughs) Good, good. That's called called cross-posting. Cross-posting. Got it. Okay. That's good to know. Right. No, (laughs) make a note of that for your all your social media. Okay, I'll write that down. Yeah, that's uh, I'm still learning. You can always learn. So that's right. That's right. Well, Gavin, thank you again. I know you're uh, I know you're busy and we carved out this time today. So I'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much again. I'm sure I I know I got a lot of value out of this. I know a ton of our listeners did. So thank you again. And uh any any parting thoughts? No, no, I just appreciate the time again, Lawton, and uh, appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate you, your business, and uh, the value you provide to, to folks who want to learn more. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Gavin, thank you, sir. Listeners out there, stay tuned. We have another episode coming at you next month. Gavin, thank you again. Have a good one. Thanks, Lawton. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to this episode of REI Rocket Fuel. For even more content, follow us on social media or head over to www.reirocketfuel.com. 